Welcome to When We Speak, where we shed stigmas, say goodbye to shame, strengthen ourselves, and encourage others. I am your host, Tasha Hunter. This is a podcast where I am blending the intersections of race, gender, sexuality, faith, and trauma. If there is a topic that most people say we're not supposed to talk about, I'm talking about it because that is how we heal. We don't heal in silence. We heal by speaking out. Hi, today we have Victor Cabral and Candace Oglesby. Today we're talking about IFS, Internal Family Systems Therapy, and Psychedelic Medicine, which are the communities that we all met each other in, you know, these spaces. And so y'all are not just like my peers, but you're you're my family. Uh, before I go on, uh, have Vic, if you would introduce yourself and um, any identities that that you want want to kind of name. Yeah, uh, my name is Victor Cabral Cabral in English, and um, I, I I wear a bunch of hats. So I'm currently the director of policy and regulatory affairs for Fluence Training, which is a psychedelic assisted therapy and uh, psychedelic integration company that trains therapists uh, to prepare them to be able to provide psychedelic medicine to folks who need it. I'm also a licensed social worker and psychotherapist and certified trauma professional, level one IFS trained, and I'm part of Black Therapist Rock. Some identity things that I would share is my, my pronouns are he, him, his. I'm a Black Latino, first generation immigrant from Dominican Republic. I'm from Pennsylvania, like an hour outside of Philadelphia. So, yeah, I'm glad to be here. Glad to be sharing space with you. Thank you, Vic. And Candice, if you would introduce yourself and um, just state your, your identities. Yes, I am um, truly grateful to be here with you all today. I'm Candace Oglesby. I am a licensed clinical professional counselor in the state of Maryland. I am in group private practice uh, where I lead a ketamine assisted psychotherapy program. I primarily work with women um, who are trauma survivors within diverse background cultural identities, um, where I combine ketamine-assisted therapy with internal family systems and EMDR. I'm certified in EMDR, trained in level one internal family systems, Uh, made the cut for level two, which I'm excited to be a part of in May and also taking an advanced ketamine course right now with Dr. Robert Grant, um, who combines IFS with um, ketamine-assisted therapy. And so in addition to being a psychotherapist, I um, am the CEO, owner of Journey Mental Health Consulting, um, LLC. Um, I provide consultation um, towards businesses and individuals who are looking to address anti-oppressive um, values um, within their organizations, even from an individual standpoint. So I am a diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant specialist. sit on a couple of committees that address diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I advocate for marginalized and oppressed populations, um, not just from a client perspective. Yes, there needs to be more Black and brown individuals, um, marginalized communities in the psychedelic space, um, but also from a therapist perspective, we need more black and brown therapists um, in this space being able to go out into their own communities to be able to facilitate this type of treatment. So my identities, I just want to give a shout out to, to my ancestors who 
definitely came before me in the indigenous people in which whose land I take up. Um, so I want to honor the Piscataway folks. But definitely I am cisgender, heterosexual, African-American woman. And I am just grateful to be here with you all in this space. You both. Like we're all IFS therapists, level one trained. But regarding psychedelics, where did you get your start professionally? Like where did you kind of learn about psychedelics uh, from a professional lens? I'm going to say, you know what, I, I think this is what I want to bring to my clients. This is the, the work that I want to do. But what was your your entryway into the world of, of psychedelics? So probably around three or four years ago, I was attending two-day intensive with uh, Dick Swartz, who was the pioneer of internal family systems. And a portion of our training, he showed actually um, a session of uh, MAPS MDMA clinical trial portion where this client was using parts work. And so, you know, at that time I was a substance use clinician, not that knowledgeable about it. So my antennas was like, how is that going to work? Right. How are we going to bring drugs into a space um, to heal folks? You know, so I was just like, "Mm, I don't really know about that. So fast forward, um, a mentor of mine, uh, Duran Young, who is the founder and CEO of Black Therapist Rock, randomly saw me on a post and was like, you're going to come with me to this meeting. Um, And it was a meeting where um, principal investigators were seeking to recruit more um, Black and Brown therapists to be a part of studies, clinical trials. And so from there, I've only been in this space really for about a year and a half. My career has taken off. I've been a therapist on clinical trials. I'm, like I said, a co-chair for the American Psychedelic Practitioners Association for the JEDI Committee, to now leading and developing Academy and Assisted Psychotherapy Program. Um, So that is just my introduction into the space. I I feel like I kind of bumped into this space, but I feel like you know, the divine was like, no, you did more than just bump in. Like your steps were ordered and created for you to arrive at this point in your life. So. Damn, seriously. In a year and a half, you've accomplished <laughs> a lot in this space. Yeah. 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 What about you, Vic? Yeah. For me, it, it started with like my personal journey. So, uh, you know, I was trying to, I, I was doing my healing work and, and, learning and expanding and I had my first experience with psilocybin in 2016 and after I had that experience I was like I need to bring this to my community and I was like this is the work that I need to do but then there was uh, at the time I didn't have a master's degree you know I I was uh, so my first experience was the summer before I started my master's and so I didn't really know like how do I get into this how do I you know put myself on a trajectory to be able to provide services and so, you know, I was like stalking Maps's website, you know, all of that stuff, like seeing what was happening, started doing a lot of research. Then in my sophomore year, my second year in graduate school, I did my my research paper, my thesis on uh, the receptiveness of social workers to using psychedelic medicine with their clients. And um, that was, I think, my first introduction to or my first step into looking at the research outside of doing like my own research at home and whatnot. And then I was like, okay, well, I need to start like putting myself in these spaces and, and meeting people. And so I went to a conference in New York city, the horizons conference. And I met like Michael Pollan there. Um, Then after that, 
Uh, I met Dr. Monica Williams, you know, a, a bunch of dope, dope people. And then after that, I went to uh, back then it was Psychedelics 101 and 102, which uh, Ingmar and Elizabeth were the CEOs of Fluence. Uh, were postgraduate students back then and principal investigators on on the NYU's trial. So I, uh, I've i always been uh, very curious and also very intentional in the things that I do. And so I knew that uh, because of my identity and kind of my social positioning that like I can't I couldn't just sit around for like the opportunity to come find me. And so I started to seek out people making connections um, I met Ingmar and Elizabeth, who, you know, had recently brought me on as director of policy and regulatory affairs. And, you know, I continued my own healing work. And in the last year or so was when I finally, you know, got the opportunity to do my MAPS training and also went with with Candace out to, to Colorado and, and we did our ketamine training there. I kind of fell into policy. Right. I applied for this fellowship with the governor when I graduated graduate school. And that gave me a whole other skill set to be able to move in this space. And so I once I got that job after about a couple months in, when I realized, like, I'm not going to be in government for too much longer. uh, I just started being very intentional about what I was learning, what I was doing and rounding myself off to be like able to speak into the clinical side, but also the policy perspective of it. So Shout out to Duran for connecting us all. I learned about psychedelics because of Duran. She, yeah, psychedelics, 12 steps and IFS. My my interest wasn't just because I love Duran and Black Therapist Rock, but I remember years ago saying I would do, I'm the kind of person that when it comes to my healing, I would do anything to heal from my shit, from, from mm. my trauma. I don't give a damn what it is. I want healing and I want freedom. And so this introduction to psychedelics and you all know that, that, that this was never for us as black people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's been quite profound to, for me, and, and just so beautiful to, to be in this space, to have my own experiences with the medicine and, and to just know what it does in terms of, of treating trauma. And so I guess, you know, what I also want to ask you is when it comes to the black community and has there always been kind of an underground like community of black people that were always aware of the medicines or has something happened just across the board where now psychedelics is like, it's sexy. So, so now everybody's, you know, it's, it's mainstream, it's, it's popular. And is that how black people are are kind of, you know, coming into the community? Was it always that way? And I just didn't know or or are we really new to this space, you know, in the way that I see it? When I hear you say that, I think there's a distinction between right when we think about black and Native American indigenous communities, right, villages and tribes who have always had access to this medicine, right, for millennials. But when we get into the Western side, right, the Western culture, you know, this has not been accessible to us. And even when we think about the war on drugs, when we think about how drugs were banned, you know, we were incarcerated at a much higher rate for engaging in, right, substance use. And so I think that's where the development, I think for at least us, right, maybe in an underground westernized way for us to still be able to practice 
right? These healing medicines became available to us. But I think that now that white people have now jumped on the bandwagon, right? And have now found a way to make these drugs legal. Now it's let's talk about, right? Accessibility. And what about the people whose lives have been destroyed due to the Nixon and Reagan administration because of the war on drugs? Our experience with drug use, black and brown folks, looks totally different than white people's experiences with drug use. And so, you know, even as I'm having this conversation, there's a part of me that wants to protect black and brown folks um, because how we engage and come to the medicine looks much different, right? And us being able to talk about this openly, then I feel like white people have the privilege of being able to talk about this in an open and accessible way. So I just want to, I want to say that. Well, you know what it, it makes me think about too, because you started, you were talking about accessibility. There is so much privilege and they've always had this access and these medicines were stolen from us. Yeah. So that we to- don't even get recognition for, right? Right. Even when you hear people talk about indigenous, right? And how this belongs to indigenous, there's always the reference of Native Americans. But what about Black indigenous folks? You know, Ibogaine comes from Africa. And why is it their conversation or honorance given to, you know, Black indigenous folks who also had access to this medicine? Yeah, a couple of things. I think um, I, I like the distinction that that um, Candace made in the beginning about this wasn't for us in the Western world. Right. But this has been in our communities, in our indigenous communities, in our black communities, in our um, you know Latino communities for quite some time. I think now in hindsight and the research that I've done, I do think that there's uh, you know, in, in the Caribbean, it's called Santeria, or there's these different kinds of like practices that are Yoruba mixed with Christianity. You know, this like morphing of of our African and indigenous religions that happened through colonization that had practices or knew certain herbs or knew certain things that that were used for um, for altered states and. Uh, Rastafarians, for example. So I've had conversations where there's there's a ritual that they do, right, where they pass around like I, I forget what it is, but it's a drink, right? And it's and it's uh, uh, they sit in a circle, and so that I think that there's these very deep, held closely to the chest rituals and practices that you know that we weren't even aware of because they're in these very unique and unique pockets of our cultures that even within those cultures get pushed to the margins, right? Because of colonization and all of those other things. There are medicines like like psilocybin, for example, grows all over the world. And there's in every culture, you know, uh, you can find evidence or every religion, you can find evidence of altered states and art that looks the same and kind of like the ultimate goal is to reach this state of enlightenment or relationship with God or whatever you want to call it. But then there are some substances that are unique to certain cultures. Ayahuasca, for example, being unique to the Amazon and and the the robbing of that that happens, right? Where they go down and they synthesize certain things and take it out and push them aside and then come make some antidepressants, right? Uh, up here, uh, Ibogaine, 
the toad, right? Five meo DMT. So the toad, that's very a very specific region where that toad is in and a very in tribes that protect and hold that medicine. Um, but there are others that are more that are molecules that have been synthesized or that are all over the world, right? I think where the differences come is where what were the rituals, you know, what were the practices behind that and and that being taken and now you know, what we see in therapy is basically trying to redefine shamanism in psychedelic yeah. therapy to bring it into the room. So that, yeah, that's my perspective. Yeah. I also wanted to ask both of you, you know, pertaining to this, this mix of, of IFS and, and psychedelics, where do you see your work as it relates to like with clients? What are the different parts that that you want to work with in your community um, or with your clients or just in general? What kind of work do you want to do blending blending both of those? Yeah, I will say um, I have been a client of an IFS, um, a couple of practitioners for the past four years. And so just even within my own ketamine experiences and the parts that have come up for me that I have resonated with, um, and I'll be totally transparent, but um, I had a a suicidal part um, and I still have this part. Um, She is very near and dear to me. Uh, But this idea that uh, I often you know, would say like, you know, even when my, my parents would say certain things and I would say, you know, I didn't ask to be here. Right. Um, I had a very romanticized, um, kind of outlook on what suicide would look like for me. And so it wasn't until, you know, and I had had years of IFS therapy, um, also just didn't feel comfortable in bringing, right. There were parts of me that wanted to exile this part. And so I never talked about, you know, this part of myself with even my IFS practitioner, but it wasn't until I had a medicine experience where it was very clear to me, the message came through that I am supposed to be here and I am supposed to be here was due to the legacy burdens that were carried, I was carrying in my own body. And so the message that came through is you're supposed to be here because you are supposed to be able to help your family release these legacy burdens. You are the one that's going to be able to help them, help the lineage to be able to, you know, replace those burdens with gifts. And so I find when I talk about my purpose and being in the psychedelic space, and combining this, you know, with IFS is to really help people to be able to release their legacy, you know, whether it's their cultural, familial legacy burdens, Um, because I have a lot of legacy burdens that I carry, like I carry the legacy burden of being, you know, the only child, you know, I carry the legacy burden of of, of being a black and, and brown woman and identities of having to be strong, you know, all of these things. And so my practice is devoted to working with black and brown women, you know, who are trauma survivors, um, specifically around this racial trauma piece and being able to know, like, I can actually release myself from this, this legacy burden. There's work that can actually be able to help me do this. 
And so the beautiful thing about, I think, psychedelics is that it really allows people to connect with their ancestors in a way that allows them the permission to be able to release legacy burdens. Um, And so I just really appreciate the spiritual unfolding that medicine work offers in combination with being able to release legacy burdens in that way. So, Candice, what about you, babe? Yeah, I think for me, I, I, I have a very broad perspective and a passion for seeing human beings discover themselves and love themselves, regardless of what they look like. My responsibility is to those who are marginalized, right? And, and the best, I guess you could say my priority is that because my responsibility is to, to anyone who, who I can support and help and wants that, right? because they don't have a voice, because they're blocked out. I want to work with our community, black and brown communities, black and brown men on discovering their vulnerability, discovering how beautiful and the courage that's that's there. And I think that can have a profound impact on the women in our community as well, because it'll change our relationships, right? I'm 34 and I'm just learning how to like be a husband for real, right? And um so I, I want to bring that and especially because I know I can see the pain that that black and brown men hold. Right. I can see and how they interact with me. I can see how they interact with the world. And I think once we're able to help our community release those burdens and empower you know, themselves, then there's a broader, you know, there. I think it's a parallel process where we can start to connect on a transpersonal level. Right. Um, but on, but we have to deal with the du- very real duality of the world that we live in and the fact mm-hmm. that, you know, in the skin that we that we the, the flesh shoot that we are in every day. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I hope that makes sense, because I I guess super like woo woo with it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that woo woo part is welcome here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it can feel kind of woo woo you know, mm-hmm. at, at times, but it, it's, it's real. Um, and, you know, because I wanted this conversation to really be aimed at those who are new to IFS and, and the blending of psychedelics, or even just the conversation of Black people in psychedelic spaces, I guess I'll answer the question too. You know, my hope over the next few years as psilocybin and MDMA and ketamine, as, as it grows and, and all things become legal, I don't know that I, if I even want to work with clients that aren't working with psychedelics to treat trauma, because I think if, if, if they're just reliant on just traditional talk therapy, we could be doing this, this talking about trauma for, for 10 years. Yeah. 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 And I'm not even going to be in the game that long. Not like this. (laughs) What I love about psychedelics is that it takes away the protectors, right? Mm. The things that really keep us locked in our trauma. And it really connects you to the source of who you Mm. are and what your purpose is and what you need to do for your next steps. So for me, I had parts like you, Candice, we we really bonded over this, right? I had parts, I have a suicide part. You all know that I survived, you know, my own attempt. Mm -hmm. And and then I've, I've, I've lived with this part of me that just wants to go away from the pain and a part that felt like I just didn't belong. 
Yeah. And so to be in community with you all and to be able to just sit with the medicine and, and, and for it to just say, no, 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 you're, you're supposed to be here. Like Mm. you are supposed to be here and this is what community looks like. And this is what family looks like. And these are your people and you do belong. And just this reinforcement of just loving me, loving younger Tasha. Like I've never been so, um, I don't know. I've I've never been so committed to something like I am my own healing. Yeah. And, And like I am in fulfilling of my own purpose, but that is because of this work, this blending of, of therapy and psychedelics. And I want the same thing for my clients. I, I do kind of want to know your perspective. Like for anybody listening, they're like, what's, what's this deal? You know, what, what is the difference with, with psychedelics uh, or psychedelic assisted therapy from regular therapy? What's kind of one thing that comes to mind for you? How is it in your perspective? How is it different in terms of how it treats your real, like your pain points? I mean, I think like you just said, right, psychedelic medicine has a nice way of softening, right, these protectors. And so when these protectors are softened, right, with their permission, right, we always get permission before we go anywhere in the system. But this idea that there's just this gateway to being able to get right to the the most vulnerable parts of us, right, that carry the traumas of our system. And so as a client of mine described, it's like you're doing months, years of therapy within a much shorter period of time, right? And people have already been waiting so long, right? People have gone to this specialist, have gone to that specialist, have tried this medication and nothing seems to work. And so why would we prolong anyone's healing when there is a mechanism that would allow someone to get the healing that they need and they deserve within a short amount of time. Like I want whatever that is. Like, I don't want to be in years of therapy paying hundreds and thousands of dollars being dependent on certain medication when there is something that I can do that you're telling me can get me there within a shorter amount of time, why would I do that? And why as a therapist would I not want to offer that to the clients that I love and I care about? We have something that we can offer, really offer folks who have been suffering and stuck for a really long time. And so why would we not you know, want to do this? So I, I think what psychedelics does uh, or do is that they allow they they alter your consciousness and your brain in such a way that you're able if in the right setting with the right support and with the right preparation to revisit or observe parts or memories or uh traumas from a from almost like a third person point of view mm-hmm. right when you're working in talk therapy, you're in it, right? And with psychedelics, you'll be in it, but there's a sense of <clears throat> distance between the experience and you letting yourself feel what that was because you didn't when it happened, right? So there's that with psychedelics. IFS, for me, revealed to me, right, after a lot of work that I had done with psychedelics was like, oh, there's this whole other level of 
intimacy that I can reach with myself, that I can tap into um, without psychedelics, just like Mm -hmm. understanding this model and being able to navigate my own mind, which is beautiful. And so when you combine that knowledge of your system or having someone who can help you navigate your system with this interconnectivity in your brain and and access to memories and and uh, experiences that have been blocked or shunned away, it creates this really beautiful opening and opportunity for healing. So as soon as I sat, like my IFS training was like my integration. I'm, I'm going to keep it 100 with you. Like that was doing a bunch of my integration and shout out to Duran and BTR. Um, I was doing my integration in my IFS therapy and I got so much out of that because I realized once I knew how to navigate my system, my integration went to a different level. I'm still a baby in this, right? As much as I think I understand. So what I would say to people is you have IFS, which by itself is already a, a powerful model to be able to access the depths of your mind and your spirit. And psychedelics also exponentially uh, opens up those possibilities. So when you combine those two, for me, it's just intuitively, it just makes sense. For anybody who's had a transcendent experience before, whether you've had it in prayer and meditation and yoga and, you know, with, with the toad or with whatever, right? At some point with any psychedelic, if, you, if the dose is high enough, you're going to reach this point of non-duality. And for me, when I started to learn IFS, learning my system taught me how to go back to that place of like pure source and energy and God for me, right? What God means for me is that. And IFS helped me to figure out how to get back to that place without needing medicine or any of these other things. So, um, yeah. You know, as I was listening to you both, what it occurred to me, what occurred to me is what IFS has really shown me in in this work in the psychedelic um, space is who I was always supposed to be before the trauma. Mm. And so Mm. much of our suffering is because we don't know who the hell we are. Can we just like pause right there to know you yourself before the trauma, meeting me, the person I was created to be right before the world had had its way with me right such a beautiful gift such a beautiful gift you you can walk taller when you know who you are when you know Mm. what you were created for yeah yeah and so I get to heal young Tasha but I also get to walk in my own maternal energy Mm. and real caretaking energy protective energy in a way that is so different than than before I started therapy and and, and 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 everything. Yeah, so much healing comes when you just know who you who you are, and you know your purpose, mm-hmm. and you get to remove all the stories of what other people have kind of put on you, things mm-hmm. that they said about you, who they thought you were. <laughs> mm. um, yeah, any of that storytelling, you get to put that aside and and just walk in your purpose. Um, and it's just, it's, it's really beautiful. Um, and I, you know, we're, we've only got like a, a few more minutes left, but I wanted to also uh, talk about, Vic, you've got some amazing things happening 
as it relates to bringing psychedelics to, I think, uh, to, to people in the DR or just even worldwide. And, and Candace, you've also got a lot going on with your business. And so, um, Vic, if you could talk about uh, your documentary and anything else that you got going on. Yeah, so uh, we're working on a documentary. It's um, executive. So the director is Esteban Serrano. Uh, writer and producer is uh, Eric Blackerby with, um, and Sway Calloway is the executive producer from uh, all the Esteban and, and, uh, and Sway have worked at, at MTV for quite some time. And the purpose behind, when I first approached Esteban, um, it was kind of like the universe put us in the same place at the same time, randomly. What I had had a conversation with uh, my close friends and my siblings, who we have this very tight-knit, very vulnerable relationship between Black and brown men. And we were like, we should really display this, right, and show it to people. And so I approached them and said, hey, I want to do a film about my relationship with my friends that that challenges the way that we view masculinity and talk about psychedelics and how that has helped us deal with our trauma and be closer together as as a group. And then that that has evolved now to include um, Black Therapist Rock and um, a trip to Africa and a trip to Ecuador. And really what we're trying to do is humanize uh, the story of psychedelics in the black and brown community and educate. Uh, so, you know, really normalizing it by teaching people, number one, that there are people of color out here that are doing some real good healing with these medicines, but that we've been doing it in community for a long time. And, um, and taking all of, you know, decolonizing it and taking all and, and, and taking out all of this, like, extra stuff that's piled out on, piled up on top of it. So um, if if you want to watch the trailer or some of the scenes that have been released, you can visit picture a uh, picture a colorful world com. And uh, there you can watch the trailer, read a little bit about the movie and also make a donation. Uh, we're currently in the fundraising stage to, to move into pre-production and uh, hoping to get started filming uh, this summer. And um, and yeah, it's just a really beautiful uh, film focusing on people of color and marginalized communities and how we can uh, work towards our liberation collectively through uh, healing as a community. Candice. Yeah, so um, as I mentioned earlier, um, I have a consulting business um, in which I do offer uh, a psychedelic, clinical psychedelic assisted therapy consultation to um, individuals and businesses. So businesses who are specifically looking to start up um, any ketamine assisted therapy programs. And so just things that need to be considered um, when establishing a um, ketamine assisted therapy program from a clinical perspective, I believe in harm reduction model. Again, because I work with black and brown clients. And so this idea that, you know, just in general, right, when doing this work, we need to keep people safe. You know, sexual assault things happen above ground, below ground, even just assaults in general. And so, you know, making sure that businesses are doing their due diligence 
and having a harm reduction portion be devoted into their protocol. And even just, I help businesses also operate from an anti-oppressive mindset and working with marginalized populations and communities. And so even working with individuals who are considering um, having any sort of psychedelic experiences, um, but being able to keep themselves safe, right? Um, just because people call themselves healers in this space does not mean that they are healers in this space. And so even being a practicing ketamine-assisted psychotherapist, right? We have these ketamine clinics that are popping up left and right, but people are getting left in rooms by themselves, right? People who already come in with an extensive trauma history. And so unfortunately, because people don't have the training, we don't have regulations that are regulating these businesses, you know, people unfortunately get re-traumatized even from an above ground experience. And so I make sure that I do my due diligence and working with my clients to make sure that we set up the safe container, but I'm also an advocate um, to businesses who wanna be able to do this healing medicine the right way. You know, anybody can say that they're offering ketamine assisted therapy, but are you doing this in a non-harmful, compassionate, safe way? Um, and so I offer that to businesses and individuals um, around preparation in terms of how they can be able to prepare themselves and things to look out for, you know, when they're entering into this space. Um, and then also do DEI consulting work uh, with businesses, again, in specifically the psychedelic space to develop a program from an anti-oppressive lens. You. And, you know, you mentioned harm reduction, and that's definitely, you know, work that I want to incorporate, you know, again, over the next couple of years in, in being a safe place for clients, you know, to be that mm -hmm. provider that they see pre-integration, post-integration, and that we talk about what does it mean to be safe because sexual misconduct is rampant in this community, which I'm a total newbie and I'm just finding out so many things but the vulnerability is there. And so my work is centered, I'd say 98% of my clients are, are, are black women. Mm -hmm. And, and so, and, and most of us have experienced some form of childhood trauma, sexual abuse, sexual assault, all of these different things. And so if you're listening and, and you're thinking about, well, you know, how do I make sure that I'm safe? really ask a lot of questions, one, and look up reviews and of the place that you're going to and have your experience, hopefully with people that you know and that you trust. I think that will decrease a lot of it. And then if you hear, this is for anybody out there, if you hear of misconduct happening in the spaces that you're in, you got to speak up because if we're going to be community, we can't be community if we're not keeping each other safe holding people accountable and naming harm, naming harm because we want to prevent harm to others. I think there's a lot more, but that's the only thing I can really think of right now. Uh, yeah. Anything to add in terms of for new people who have concerns about safety or just any anything, any one or two tips that, that you can think of? Yeah, I think it's, I, I, I think you had, you know, ask a lot of questions and pay attention to how those questions are answered and how your concerns are addressed. 
pay attention to assessment or is the person who, whether it's above ground, underground, the, where you're going to sit with medicine, are they doing their due diligence and understanding your history and understanding any health issues that you have, what medications, uh, your trauma, et cetera. And lastly, and this is my own personal opinion is trust your intuition, trust your body and trust yourself. Mm -hmm. I don't care if your mom told you that this clinic is good or that that this underground place is good. You trust your own intuition and your own safety. Do you feel safe? Do you feel comfortable? Do you feel supported? Do you feel protected? And if you don't, regardless of what anyone has told you, I would rather see you say no, even though it might be a safe place, than say yes mm -hmm. and go against how you feel and, and your core in your core and and be hurt. Um, so those are the three things I would say. What do you know for sure about healing? It doesn't always look pretty. <laughs> it's not always comfortable. It can be rather tormenting too, right? And I say that because I think sometimes in Western culture, when it comes to psychedelics, there's almost like this romanticism that's given to the medicine, right? Like it's uh, unicorns and roses. <laughs> but that's not what healing, you know, it, healing can look like that, right? It can, but healing doesn't always look like that. I would say, you know, to not avoid that because something very beautiful can be on the other side, but we've got to go through to get to the other side. And so, you know, for those who are contemplating, you know, whether they want to do this, I would just say, get curious. Um, but that, you know, healing is not always pretty and it can be quite challenging and quite uncomfortable. So true. Vic, what do you know for sure about healing? Two things, um, that it's my birthright, that it's our birthright mm -hmm. and that it's lifelong. And then my final question is, um, what's one thing that's currently giving you joy? I would say being in this space with y'all. Because <laughs> I, I feel like, you know, in the psychedelic world, I don't always get to be in the space with just nothing but people who look like me. I'm often like the only person of my kind, yeah. you know, and that brings up all sorts of stuff for me. But this is giving me joy right now to be in this space with you all talking about something that I am extremely passionate about so this is this is feeding me fame what about you me enjoy life i feel awake more than i've ever been in my entire life and that being alive it brings me joy um brings me gratitude and you know i often like sit and think about where i was or where i came from or what i thought i where i thought i was going to be and what i thought or didn't think was possible. And then I just sit with like, oh, look at where I am. And it's not perfect, but it brings me joy that um, that I'm alive and that I have a community that loves and support me, supports me, my family and all those things. That was so beautiful. Both of you definitely echo the same. Um, knowing and being in community with both of you, Vic, you are the brother that I have always needed and wanted. <laughs> I was telling my therapist earlier today, I said, no matter what I've gone through recently, what makes it 
so much better is having my safe brother that's got my back, having my sister that's got my back. Like, like there's not been one day where I haven't felt love or felt heard or felt wanted or felt like I belonged. And so I love how we are creating a safe and loving community mm-hmm. and family with each other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that is it for our podcast. Thank you both so much for spending time with me. Thank you so much for listening to When We Speak. Follow me on Instagram at Tasha Hunter LCSW. If you haven't done so yet, please rate, review, and follow me on iTunes and share it on your social media. If you want to copy.